Here's where we sit under the preaching of the word. Every sermon should just be like a good meal for you, just to build you up and make you strong. Sometimes somebody might preach to you and your whole life may be changed. So today, my hope is at least that you walk out strengthened and encouraged. Uh, Maybe there's some major work that the Spirit needs to do in your soul or the life of this church. May He come and do that. In the biblical books of Acts, there is this speech that was given by a pastor named Paul who had planted a great church. In this speech, he is rewinding and pointing out all of the things that marked the life of the church that they had planted. What we are doing together in this sermon series called Seven Mile Road, A Field Guide, is just swimming in those big truths, those big ideas, and their implications for a church like ours. So we're preaching through shorter sections of Scripture, but we're going deeper in those shorter sections. I'm actually going to be preaching to you today from just one verse of Scripture, five words of Scripture, but hopefully they never look the same to you again. Our preaching is much more than the words of a, of a sinful man. Uh, God, in His grace, by His Spirit, gets involved in this. So let's ask Him for that grace together. Father, I pray that we would be people who have ears to hear and that we would be moved deeply by the grace of the gospel as it comes to us in these inspired words of Scripture. Just make us alert this morning. We open our hearts to you and your work. Amen. All right, one of the very last things that we do at the very back end of the leadership development tracks that we do in our church uh, is something called Strengths Finder Night. Strengths Finder is a personality profiling tool that you can use to get a feel for how somebody is wired and how they can be just let loose in accord with their strengths to serve the advance of the gospel. Strengths Finder Night is always very lighthearted and it's sometimes totally hilarious. Because here's what we do. We have everyone submit what the test says that their five greatest strengths are anonymously. Then if we're in a hotel room or someone's basement or wherever we are, we put giant post-it notes up on the wall with five strengths but no names. Then we give everyone another post-it note. And having spent a year in deep community with each other, They've got to walk up to those strengths and say, I think this is Michael, I think this is Heather, I think this is John. For some people, this is obvious right away. So the guy that never closes the book, he's a learner. The girl who everyone in the church adores, she has a win others over strength. For other people, you're going, huh, I'm not so sure. I am one of those people who wear their strengths, finder results like a neck tattoo. It's right there. Or like a big neon sign. No one has never not immediately walked up to the thing and said, okay, that's Cruz. I know that's him. I won't give you all five of mine, especially if you're in a track with me this year. I don't want to spoil the fun. But one of my strengths 
personality wirings is I am a maximizer. Here's something of what a maximizer sounds like. Excellence, not average, is your measure. Taking something from below average to slightly above average takes a great deal of effort and, in your opinion, is not very rewarding. But transforming something strong into something superb That takes just as much effort, but it is much more thrilling to you. Do you feel that? In other words, if you show me a person or a project that has potential to be spectacular, boom, boom, the Red Bull starts running through my veins. I get very excited. If someone is selling a dilapidated church building that just needs somebody to come in and give it some love and revitalize it so a great church can exist, who should you call? A maximizer. They get pumped up at that. That's exactly what we've done here. If you give me 10 kids who are willing to listen, love basketball, and would dive on concrete for a loose ball, you just make me their coach, and what happens? We just go undefeated. I'm like 136 and 2 in the rec league with my sons and daughters. If you've got a room full of gospel-centered church plants, planters who want to just set the world on fire by planting holy and healthy churches where they're desperately needed, who do you call to do that TED Talk? Or that hour and a half sermon? Better. You call a maximizer. He sees that room. Oh, man, he is levitating. Show me strengths that can be nurtured and steered and maximized, and I'm in. I'm good with that, which is fine. But there's also a dark side to being a maximizer, a very dark side. If somebody like me doesn't immediately, intuitively sense that there is a high probability of blazing success with a person or a project or a venture, I'm out. I either want to go fast and furious or I don't want to go at all. I don't do slow or pedestrian or average. And that means that if someone or something looks weak to my natural personality, I move away. I think that this explains my disdain for speed bumps Uh, The parking lot in my son's high school has hundreds of speed bumps, and I drop them off in the morning, and then I have to get out of there. How do you deal with speed bumps? If you were a maximizer, here's my approach. I swerve around them, if possible. If not, I will just run them right over, if necessary. Just don't ever let them slow you down. You feel that? Swerve away or just plow them over, but you can't slow down. What is not okay is that this is also my personality's default MO with those who I feel like are going to be bringing weakness into the conversation. I don't naturally view someone who is hurting or who is fragile or 
who is incapable as a God-given opportunity to move toward them with gospel love. Instead, I see them as speed bumps who threaten to hold back my maximization. And so I want to get around them. And then if I have to, I will just run them over. This is an ugly tendency of the heart. And it's into this very ugly tendency that the Spirit gives this beautiful but jarring admonition. He says, in our words today, if you are going to live in or lead a holy and healthy church, here's what he says, we must help the weak. We must help the weak. All right, feel the weight of this word, must. That's a command. That's an imperative. And it is not only given to those of us who are naturally tender or find ourselves in the helping professions. It is given to every shepherd, every disciple maker, every Christian. We must help the weak. I tell leaders, don't you dare job description your way out of this. So this is what it would sound like. Well, I am the pastor of teaching and vision. My primary duties are delivering the Sunday sermon, maintaining the church's culture, and training the future leaders. I don't have time for weakness. No way. We dare not excuse ourselves based on our personalities. Here's what that would sound like. Hey, I am a maximizer. The church benefits the most when I am free to run with the strong. I will leave the helping of the weak to other people. No. And we dare not rationalize this requirement away. It's very important that we foster a spirit of excellence in all that we do in the life of this church. So let's platform and invest in our high potential members. We just don't really have time for the weak. No. If we are going to be faithful gospel ministers, especially in a Bostonian culture that runs the weak over, we have to obey this beautiful command of the Spirit together. We must help the weak. I took a pen this week and I wrote down all the verbs that I would have preferred the Holy Spirit to have put in that Bible verse. Here's what they were. We must despise the weak, mock the weak, pity the weak, dismiss the weak, patronize the weak, avoid the weak, hand off the weak, gripe about the weak, judge the weak, chase away the weak, ignore the weak, crush the weak. Then there were a few others that I was too embarrassed to actually type and say that came to mind. But help them? Yes. Here's the big gospel truth that sits underneath this beautiful verb of Scripture. If Jesus has made you strong, if you find yourself in a position of strength, He intends for you to use that strength for the good of others. 
if Jesus has made you strong, he intends for you to use that strength for the good of others who are not as strong. Think about Paul serving this church. He was strong physically, tent making all day, preaching all night. He was strong emotionally, surrounded by dear friends in ministry, and the church was growing. Man, he felt good about that. He was strong theologically, 10, 15 years of thinking on the implications of the gospel. And he did not steer those strengths to benefit himself. What does he say that he did with those strengths? He helped those who were not as strong. You could summarize these words like this. Paul did not view the weak in the life of his church as getting in the way of great gospel ministry. Instead what? He saw them as essential to good gospel ministry. Jesus needs to give us those eyes. The first few years that I was a pastor, it was a surprising left-hand turn and the greatest left-hand turn in the history of my life. For the first few years, there was very little fruit visible in the life of the work. That's because it was all happening inside of my soul. This was like barren and dry and slow. This was an explosion of grace and joy. One of the things that Jesus did in my heart was give me a newfound affection, a love for those who were not super strong. Here's how he did it. Speed bump after speed bump was put in my way. I'm writing some of this stuff down. I came up with a bunch of stories. Let me give you a couple so you can feel this. Susan. Susan was six foot tall, stunningly beautiful girl from Medford. Uh, you know those Boston girls, they could be in sweatpants and a, and a white t-shirt and everybody still goes, wow, who's that? This was Susan. When she was 16, she got pregnant and had a baby, senior year of high school. Then she married her boyfriend and right away they had another baby. She told me they wanted to give their son a playmate. Then when she was 20, accidentally she became pregnant again and she had twins, and then her husband fell into an intense uh, alcoholic addiction. When we met Susan, she was poor. She was um, struggling to keep up with four children under five years old with an alcoholic husband. Um, she was addicted to painkillers because he had beaten her in a drunken rage and separated her shoulder. Her life was just weakness. Uh, it got so bad that one day she just checked her four children in with DSS and she checked herself into the McLean Psychiatric Hospital that's over in Waltham. I remember getting the call and driving the 45 minutes from Melrose down 128 to the, the psych ward in Waltham. The holy part of me was praying, Jesus, I don't know what to say. Will you please give me grace? Give me wisdom. The unholy part of me was saying, Jesus, I do not have time for this. I remember thinking that somewhere in Burlington. 
Susan is years away from being a functional member of this church plant. We have work to do. I don't have time for this speed bump, Lord. That was my complaint. I remember getting to the hospital. It was a day like today. It was freezing out. It was grayer than this. She was sitting in the corner facing a window looking at a snowy parking lot. Her shoelaces were gone. Her eyes were just blank, dark circles under these beautiful blue eyes. And we had one of those conversations that are very fitful. You know, the pauses outweigh the words. I don't know what to say. And she's not in her right mind. I tried to affirm my love for her. I left feeling like very little had been accomplished. But I was wrong. Jesus was teaching me to help the weak. You feel that? Second story, Mark. He was a veteran who was out of the military on disability. Um, he was one of those guys that always needs a haircut. You know those dudes? Always needs a haircut. Uh, when he shaved, he would miss a line here and a line here every time. I'm like, dude, shave in the mirror and get all of it. What is going on with you? When he got discharged from the military, he met a girl at a party. He got her pregnant. They had a baby girl. Then they got married. Then they got divorced. Then he got her pregnant again while they were divorced. This time she gave birth to a severely disabled little girl, quadriplegic, uh, deaf and mute. A few months after that diagnosis, she said, I don't want these girls anymore. So here is this divorced man, disabled, poor, with two children, one of whom is severely disabled. Weakness. He called Grace and I, and he said, can you watch my daughter? I have to go to court to fight with my wife over the custody of these kids. We said, sure. It was a Tuesday or a Wednesday, I forget, but I was supposed to be preparing to preach. And I ended up sitting on the rug in my house with this quadriplegic girl. She never looked at me. She was just staring off into space. And I remember trying to hold her, and we were either... I was building Duplo Legos or running Tommy trains. I forget which it was. And out of nowhere, she vomited all the 20 ounces of red Gatorade that she had drunk that morning. All over me, all over herself, all over our blue rug, all over whatever it was that we were playing with. Boom. And I remember Grace and I bent down to clean her up. It took about 20 minutes. And I remember where my heart was, very frustrated. All morning, sitting down with a quadriplegic girl who throws up on me, Lord. Mark is never going to be a functioning member of this church. I know it. I have more important things to do. I don't have time for this speed bump. She never said a word to me. We never made eye contact. Her dad picked her up late, of course. My sermon remained unwritten. You would say, man, nothing good happened that day. You'd be wrong. Jesus was breaking this heart. And he was teaching me to help the weak. To move toward those 
who find themselves in a place of weakness. I could tell you five more stories. I don't look back at those stories frustrated anymore. I look back at them with fondness, with a very tenderness of heart. There was no other way that Jesus was ever going to make a maximizer, a shepherd, than by slowing me down month after month, year after year, hearing the stories, looking in the eyes of people who were weak and broken. Every single super not strong person that Jesus brought into the life of our church was ensuring that our church would be a safe place for people who were in need. There is a reason that civil engineers put speed bumps in parking lots. What is it? They ensure that the pedestrians are safe. They slow some of us down so that none of us get hurt. When I see speed bumps now, I think that is a bright yellow means of grace without which a parking lot would become a terribly dangerous place. The same exact thing holds true for Jesus' church. Same thing. Jesus intends for this family to be a place of safety. People are supposed to get healed here, not hurt. They are supposed to be lifted up, not sized up. They are supposed to be loved on and not left behind. How does Jesus do it? He fills his church with people who are weak, who are the most important people in the life of our church. It's Greg, right? reading the Boston Herald when I preach, comes up every day and says the same thing to me at this table. This man is a gift of Jesus to this church that we might learn to love the weak. It's Amy's friend who sits in the front here. He told me her name. I couldn't pronounce it. Rufina. She's 82 years old. Two years ago, she got hit by a car. She can barely move. Who has placed Rufina in the life of this church? Jesus did to teach us how to help and to love those who come to us with weakness. Let me say some things very clearly here so you don't miss them. We are not running a Fortune 500 company of this church that only recruits and hires the best of the best. This is not what we are doing. We are not coaching a Division I basketball team where you've got to be 6'9", and super agile in order to be welcome. That's not what we're doing. We are not directing a Hollywood epic here where everybody's got to look perfect and be super articulate. We are ministering the grace of Jesus to all comers. Super wicked, highly functional, regular, functional, not functional at all. They're welcome here. Why did Paul say this? Because this was the teaching of Jesus. This was the living of Jesus. No one showed us this more clearly than did Jesus. 
Here's how Jesus said it. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The words labor and heavy laden, they're supposed to be taken together. They amplify each other. This is not just you're a little bit tired at 5 p.m. on Friday. This is, it's over. You're done. You have worked as hard as you could and you did not get ahead and you have no more gas in the tank and you have not passed the test or made the team and you are not functioning at all. That's what laboring and heavy laden means. I've got nothing left to live, to give. I tried to beat the system and work the system and I'm just an embarrassment and I came up short. It was me and it was the real world and we collided and I lost. That's me. What is jolting in these words is not the fact that this church and greater Boston and this world would be filled with people of weakness who labor and are heavy laden and can't do it on their own. That is not what's jolting and surprising in this text of Scripture. What is jolting and surprising in these words? What is it? It's the gospel truth that Jesus wants them. Jesus wants those people that we move away from or run over. He is not trying to swerve around them. He is not looking to run them over and run them out. He is recruiting them. He is inviting them. He is saying, hey, Weakness, end of your rope, broken people, not really functioning, come to me. I want you. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. But this is the heart of the gospel that we love and that we proclaim, that we exist for. We love this gospel truth because we know if you remove all the facades, we are the ones who are weak. We are the ones who bring very little to the table. We are the ones who, when nobody's looking, know that we cannot piece this thing together. We have made our raggedy attempts at all things in life, and we have fallen short, and yet Jesus loves us and died for us and covenants with us anyway. You know that there is no other gospel, no other religion, no other religion out there that is anything like this, anything like this at all, right? What is the gospel everywhere outside of the life of a Christian church? Here it is. Come to me, all who can meditate for hours on end and, and get your legs in crazy positions and still be able to walk. Come to me. Come to me. All who can hold a rigorous moral code, come to me. Come to me. All who can read thick, long books with big words and interact with all kinds of philosophical conversations, come to me. You're welcome here. Come to me. All who can keep a seven times a day prayer schedule. Can you keep that? Come to me. 
Come to me, all who have never smoked crack, never gotten pregnant, never racked up debt. Come to me. Come to me, all who are witty and intelligent and can quote Seinfeld and Springsteen lyrics. Come to me. Come to me if you look like Tom Brady and Giselle and their kids. I want you. Come to me. Am I right about this? What is the message? Come to me, all who are strong and can do it. Hear me clearly. Those are not, not a single one of them, the invitation of the gospel of grace. Here's how Jesus says it instead. Come to me, all who are weak, pathetic, incompetent. Come to me. Come to me, all who are sin-addled and addicted and messed up. Come to me. Come to me, all who are unsure and scared. Come to me, all who have B.O. Come to me, all who miss those two lines every time you shave. Come to me. Come to me, all who had four kids before the age of 21 and are in a mental institution. Come to me. Come to me if you can't read great. Come to me if you're tone deaf. Come to me and whatever other category of weakness that there is. And Jesus says, I want you, and I will give you rest. You are safe with me. I will be strong for you. This is why Paul and Jesus command us to help the weak. And so let's do it. Let's do it. If there is any mark of the life of this church, let's be a people who are known to move toward and to love and to help the weak. Let's mop up their puke. Let's do it. Let's set up the chairs because we have legs that can do it and they don't. Let's use our strength for the good of others. Let's do it. Let's dig in as people battle with addictions that they cannot overcome. Let's do it. Let's sit with them in awkward silence when we have no idea what to say because they're such a mess. Let's do it. Let's give a ton of money because we're able to and the next person isn't, even if they were stupid with their money. Let's give it anyway. Let's see the weak never as speed bumps that slow us down. Let's see them as gifts of the grace of Jesus to ensure that our church stays strong. I need that. Grace and I have probably not had a weaker year before you than this last one. Every day I thank Jesus that weakness is welcome in the life of this church. Let's see those who are weak as opportunities to extend grace. Better yet, let's not only not see them as speed bumps, let's see them as mirrors.
reflecting back to us our own brokenness, neediness, and weakness before God. By God's grace, we are no longer the blind leading the blind, but listen to me. We will always, always be the weak leading the weak. The weak helping the weak. So even when we are graced with seasons of strength, let's slow down and lean in and love anybody who is in a place of weakness together. I'm going to pray two things. One is that we would have that kind of a heart and it would just mark the life of this church. The other is that we would realize our weakness and the strength and the love and the grace of Jesus, how he has said to us, come to me, come to me. If you have never felt the love of God for you in Christ in saying exactly as you are, come to me and you're going to find joy, peace, and rest like you didn't imagine, let's receive that grace together today. All right, let's pray. Father, thanks for these words of Scripture. We receive this command. We must help the weak. I pray that you would set our hearts to do it and also to receive it. In fact, I flip those around, Lord. I pray that first you would make us a people who have received the strength, the rest, the peace of God in our weakness. And then a people who extend that peace and grace and safety to others. Whatever else happens, make this a place where the weak are loved and helped and welcomed. It's the kind of place we want to be a part of. Lord, come and do it by your spirit.